I want to talk to you uh, this morning and just kind of introduce that subject a little bit uh, to us. I was a little bit, um, I've been trying to lay things out over the four weeks uh, that we're going to be in this series, and uh, it was more of a challenge than I thought it would be. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll see where we end up, but I want to introduce the subject. And I was um, thinking about Dennis Kinlaw, and he was one of the greatest men that I came across in my time at Asbury Seminary. Um, he was a marvelous uh, preacher and uh, lover of people. Um, he was brilliant, uh, spoke, I don't know, eight, nine different languages, and was very, very fluent in the Hebrew and the Greek and Aramaic and, and all of those. Uh, and yet at the same time was just an incredibly humble and godly man. And uh, he always just had a twinkle in his eye. And, and I remember um, listening to him talk and, um, and sharing, and I just loved to listen to him. Um, he had been, before I went to uh, seminary, he had been right across the street at Asbury College, now university, and he had been the president there for uh, five, six years or so, and then while I was there, he had retired and uh, done some other things and was doing a lot of speaking, and then after I left the seminary at the age of 67, he got called back and was uh, again served as president of Asbury College for another four, uh, three, four years um, after that time. But Ravi Zacharias writes about meeting Dennis Kinlaw right after Dennis had had his first grandchild. And he, he met him, and Dennis uh, told Ravi about his holding his little grandchild in his arms for the first time and as he was even talking about, his eyes flooded with tears. And he said, the first time he just wondered, and he said out loud, is there anyone who feels about me the way I feel about this little child? <laughs> and instantly in that moment that he asked that question, inside his spirit, the answer came, yes, and even more. God himself cares about me even more than I care about this little bundle uh, of joy. That is the confidence that we are to have in life. Rachel, could you pull out the, the worship bags? That's the confidence that you and I need to have in this life. That is part of the, the message of the gospel that God has for each one of us. Max Lucado writes, um, and he says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and sunrise every morning. Face it, friend, he's crazy about you. Well, God loves, uh, the first point I want to make today is that God loves us individually. He loves me individually. Um, God, St. Augustine said, God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. Why don't you just stop and think about this? You've heard this before, but if there was only you, if you had been the only person on the face of the earth, 
God would have still sent his son to die on a cross for you. He loves you and he loves me to that extent. Jesus loved the crowds. We read about that in several times in the Gospels, how Jesus loved the crowds. He had compassion on them. Um, we see that he also loved individuals. Remember John, the beloved disciple? All the way through the book of the Gospel of John, John never calls himself by his own name. He simply says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Every time he talks about anything where he was involved in, he describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because he knew that Jesus loved him. You run into uh, the story of Lazarus. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, brothers and sisters. And Lazarus dies. And, and what does the word say about Lazarus? I forget now whether it was Mary or Martha that sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and dying. And she said, Lord, the one you love (laughs) is sick. Come quickly. So Jesus loves you. He doesn't just love you because he loves people. He loves you uh, just for the sake of you being you. The second thing I want to say, though, in addition to that is, That God loves the real me. And God loves the real you. There are... um, (laughs) Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor that was martyred by the Nazis, said, God does not love some ideal person, but rather human beings just as we are. Not some ideal world, but rather the real world. You and I probably have pictures on our refrigerators. Or at least we have them of our family members down hallways and different places uh, in our houses. And those are people that we love. Are they perfect? No. None of them are perfect. And yet we still choose to love them anyway. And the fact is that God loves you and he loves me warts and all. It probably would do us a lot of good if you and I could continually remember that God loves us even with our faults, um, that God loves us unconditionally, uh, warts and all. In my profession, uh, one of the things that I struggle with is funerals, and I don't know any pastor who doesn't struggle sometimes uh, with funerals, um, because funerals always seem to remind me Um, that there are no perfect people. (laughs) There simply are not any perfect people out there. And occasionally people will go to a funeral and uh, I will hear them make the comment that they attended the funeral of a person that they didn't know. Now, they weren't saying they didn't know the person. They were just saying that the the funeral portrayed that person as somebody that they didn't know. (laughs) But the person portrayed at the funeral was a completely different character than the one they had encountered and, and known in their lives and experienced in their life. Somehow the stories at the funeral just didn't line up with their own experience. 
It was about six weeks ago. I was having a conversation with someone, and they referenced a funeral that I had done several years ago. And um, it was one in which there were a lot of stories told, uh, pretty glamorous, wonderful stories about this person, glowing stories. And um, as this person was talking to me about that funeral, um, this, this person just simply said, you know, that certainly was not my experience with that person. <laughs> and, and they've been carrying that around here for, for years, you know. And, and they came and talked to me and said, you know, the stories I heard at that funeral, that just didn't relate at all to my experience with that person. And um, Now, as a pastor, I'm not really in control of what other people say at a funeral, but I can be in control of what I say, hopefully, sometimes, and um, and one of my philosophies at funerals is that there isn't a lot of practical value in focusing on the negatives of people. Uh, <laughs> that just doesn't really uh, help much of anyone at a funeral. So I always try to focus on the positive, make sure I'm being honest, and make sure that I'm uh, being a person of character in whatever I do at a funeral. But um, the fact is there are no perfect people. But God sees that, and he doesn't see the ideal me. He doesn't see the perfect Adrian Timmons, because there isn't one. And he still chooses to love me. And God doesn't see the perfect you. He sees the real you. (laughs) With all the faults and with all those things, um, He sees the inside and the outside. He sees our motives and our behaviors. He sees our quirks, our flaws, our failures. But he also sees our charming traits, our strengths and our victories. And he loves us. He made us. He knows our strengths and our weaknesses. And he knows the strengths that he gave you will also imply that you have a set of weaknesses. Because quite often, you know the people you associate with, you see it in your own families. Somebody will be really strong in this area, and you can just about count a person that is strong in this area will be weak over here in, in some other area. You know, we just can't all be strong in all areas across the map. I was in a board meeting this last week where we were discussing a new hire that was uh, doing a good job uh, but they were, and they were really, really strong in an area the last person had been weak in. And so when, when the director was looking for a new hire, they wanted to make sure they got somebody that was really strong where the last person had been weak. And they got their person. Except for this person is weak in the things that the last person was really strong in. <laughs> and, and so there was this frustration level trying to figure out what to do about that uh, they seemed to be underperforming in this, this area that the last person had been strong in and so I reminded the group that we kind of had unrealistic expectations uh, that we wanted to be a, you know we wanted to hire somebody what we really wanted is to hire two different people in one person and we really wanted a person who could be strong in two strings that are seldom found in the same person. That's just not the way God wires people. 
Well, the fact is that God loves us as we are. He made us. He molded us. He shaped us. And he knows um, all about us. He knows that we are not the ideal, perfect person we would like to be. And that leads me to the next point. God loves me not because I'm lovable. He loves me because he is love. C.S. Lewis says, God loves us not because we are lovable, but because he is love. Look at this passage from Ephesians chapter 2. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So, Paul says, every one of us, we didn't deserve God's love. We weren't this lovable creation that God just you know, couldn't help himself <laughs> but to love. We actually deserved God's wrath towards us. But verse 4 says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Again, God doesn't love me because I'm lovable. I was visiting with somebody yesterday who is just kind of one of those lovable types. I mean, people are just drawn to them. They have the personality and and the friendliness and all of that, and people just like them. You want to be around that. And that's not typically the person I am. But for this person, they're that way. And, um, you know, but what Paul is trying to say is God doesn't love Adrian Timmons because he's just lovable. God loves me because he is a lover. He is love. And God loves you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Tom Toole was sharing with me about some friends. Um, Tom Toole is the director of Macedonia Ministries uh, that I've been part of for three years. And Tom was sharing with me about some friends of him and his wife, Suzanne. And they one day went to their house for the first time and met them. And Tom and Suzanne's friends, he, he works uh, his job. He created his own business. Uh, and in the city, they just go around and pick up garbage that the garbage man won't pick up. And so that's his job. He just goes around, um, garbage man won't pick up appliances, or the garbage man won't pick up this, or the garbage man won't pick up a, you know, a couch, or something like that. Anything that the garbage man won't pick up, he goes around, they call him, and he, for, for a price, he goes and picks it up. And so that's what he does for a living. And, um, then along with that, as he got into that job, he also got into recycling and reclaiming things. And so they were surprised when they drove up to the house. It wasn't all that impressive on the outside and all of that. But when he walked in the house, they were just stunned. It was just magnificent. There was just all kinds of, of wonderful uh, decorations and a well-furnished home and all of that. And uh, so Suzanne asked this other woman, she says, um, how did you come about all this stuff? And, and her friend said, well, 
she says, we have bought almost nothing that's in our house. She says, almost everything in our house comes from Tom going and picking up something that everyone else thought was trash and they just wanted it out of here. And my husband has just an eye to be able to see what it needs to make it usable, to reclaim it, to give it a spark that that maybe it didn't even have when it was originally produced and all of that. She says he has an eye to see potential in things that no one else wants. He knows how to bring out the very best in something and to be able to reclaim it. And she says, our whole house is just filled with stuff that he has seen potential in that no one else has seen potential in, and he has reclaimed it. Well, that is a picture of how God sees us. It's not because we're so perfect. I mean, someone else would just take us out and set us on the sidewalk beside the garbage bin. (laughs) It's not because we're so perfect or so lovable or so desirable. It's because God has an eye to see in us potential that other people simply do not see. The next point I want to make this morning is that God loves us enough to challenge us. God loves us enough to challenge us. God's love does not mean uh, that he allows us to become like snowflakes uh, that they, we talk about today, who have who have to have our own way and we can't even consider another point of view um, or all of that. God's love does not mean that he doesn't um, discipline us or that he won't allow us to go through some dreadful things in life or that he won't challenge us to grow and to change. You know, our secular culture has created a whole generation of political snowflakes who, you know you know, have to have, you know, a crayon coloring room in college um, to survive and all of that kind of stuff. But the fact is we can criticize our secular culture for doing that, but the church culture has created spiritual snowflakes in the American culture. As soon as we experience the slightest difficulty, we assume that God somehow has quit loving us. Or that somehow God must be mad at us, or he's against us, and all of that. Don't you think that's true today in our world? There is that natural tendency to think, as soon as something doesn't go right in my life, God must not love me. Or God is not there for me, or God is mad at me. And, you know, and and so that's part of the whole mentality why our culture wants to blame God for everything, because we just think, Everything ought to go well in our life or God has quit loving us. Hmm. Somehow we have come to the place that we think the Christian life is all about me getting everything I want and being rewarded for living any way I want. But the kingdom culture will have none of that. If God really loves me, He loves me enough to help me to grow and to change. If God really loves me, the kingdom culture is one that speaks truth in love. The kingdom culture sent Israel into Babylonian captivity until they would return 70 years later and never ever practice idolatry again. 
the kingdom culture, the, the practice of Jesus, practices a love that brings out the very best in me instead of promising just to bring the best to me. I want to say that again. Jesus' culture, the culture of Jesus, promises to bring out the best in me rather than just bringing the best to me. And we live in a world that wants the best brought to us free of charge. That is not what Jesus promises to us. Jesus promises that he will bring the best out of us regardless of what comes to us. That is his his promise to us. I want you to notice in this next little text, the kingdom culture loved the rich young ruler enough to challenge him. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus looked at the rich young ruler. He'd come to Jesus and he said, you know, I've kept, I've kept the Ten Commandments and I've done this and I've done that and I've done that. What else must I do to in, inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and what does it say? He loved him. <laughs> I hadn't noticed those words before. He looked at him and loved him. And then he said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So when Jesus loves us, that doesn't mean that he's not going to challenge us. He said some very difficult things to this young man who wanted to know what was next. If you really love your children, we discipline them. If we really love our children, we protect them. And if we really love our maturing children, we nudge them out of their comfort zones, prepare them to make the best of the world around them. God loves us enough to do the very same thing. He loves us enough to be there for us and with us as he disciplines us and challenges us and causes us to grow and as he brings out the very best that is within us. Patsy has a, has a Sunday school class going in, in Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, which is a wonderful book. And here is a great thought from that book that he shares. If you had to go through a field of landmines and, and you had a soldier that was available to lead you through that field where the mines could blow up, if you stepped on them, would you turn it down and say, no, I want to go my own way. Let me experience this for myself. No, not many of us would do that. We would want the guide to take us through, that knew the path through the, 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 man, the land mine field. Um, and God wants to do the same thing for us. He knows where the landmines are and all of that. He knows how to avoid those landmines. And that's what his commands are for. And so sometimes God does say, don't do this. Because he's trying to help us avoid those landmines because he really loves us and wants to bring the best um, out of us. The last thing I want to say this morning is God wants us to keep ourselves in his love. Now, I want you to notice that God loves us, but Jude says that 
we are to keep ourselves in God's love. So there's a responsibility on our part to keep ourselves aware of how much God loves us. Jude 20 and 21 says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Well, how do we keep ourselves in God's love? Well, he says there, uh, first of all, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, um, I think we do that by living to please him in response to his love. But one of the other things that you can simply do is simply remember that regardless of what happens in your life, God still loves you as an individual. And that he is there for you. Um, Regardless of what comes your way, Regardless of what comes of your life, regardless of what happens, the one solid foundation in life is that Jesus loves me. That's something that we ought to think about more than we do. Um, that's not natural for me. I didn't grow up that way. I, 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 that's just not part of it. But that is something I'm learning to do more and more in my life as I'm nearing 55 years of age. That Jesus loves me. And that's the foundation for my life. And regardless of how things are going in life, like I talked to the kids about this morning, we need to have that foundation in our life that Jesus loves us and we need to bask in the radiance and its its warmth um, all day long. We're going to sing a hymn, um, How Firm a Foundation. And... uh, That doesn't necessarily speak to God's love for us, but it does speak to the fact that there is a foundation for our lives. And that foundation is solid, and the world doesn't have a foundation. Um, There is no foundation out there in the world. The only foundation that you and I will, that will keep us in life and keep us well for eternal life is the foundation that God has in his word.